you to River Church in Tuscaloosa, Alabama this morning. We're ministering the word we started last Wednesday called distance, the distance going all the way. Let's say the last part together. I'm going all the way. Let's say it again. I'm going all the way. So we're going somewhere. You might as well be going all the way with Jesus. We're all sold out to something. Nobody's, nobody's getting out of time or getting out of something. We're all doing something. So if you would, uh, with me this morning, turn to the book of John, John chapter 10. Praise God. We thank you for utterance this morning. Lord, we thank you for a, a door opening for us to speak and to be spoken to. Now, I was meditating on this, and you know, why do we have church? Why do, why do we listen to CDs and broadcasts and all that? Why do we? Why, what is really the purpose of it? It's, it doesn't seem to pay off that day. It's not like you go into a casino and you put in a quarter and it, it throws out money. It's not like there's any hope of that. But the truth is, Jesus so completely redeemed us. He did such a thorough job. You know, God's not still working on me. People say that. God's still working on me. Well, actually, he, he got you born again. He's through. There's nothing left for Jesus to do. He'd have to do it on the cross, but there's nothing left for him to do. You go, well, I'm still a mess. Well, the reason that uh, anybody's a mess is because we need, the only thing that didn't get redeemed is our thinking, our head, our mind, our soul. That's the only thing that didn't get done. Because if you like chocolate before you got back, saved, guess what? We're tearing up those Hershey bars. Hallelujah. So that didn't change. So we have, that's the thing that's left. And because we're so grateful that we got born again in our spirit, man, we want to get our head to agree. The word says that when we got born again, we had the mind of Christ put in us. It's down here. Your head's up here. Your mind's up here. But your, your, your mind, the mind of Christ is down here. Or wherever it is, it doesn't really matter. It's in us. We have to take attention to the mind because it's an enemy, a potential enemy to our spirit. It disagrees with God. Do you all ever read that in the word where it says the soul is enmity, the flesh is enmity against the spirit? Well, of course it is. So redemption is totally complete except we're going to get a new body. That didn't happen yet, so we got, but we can't do anything about that. You can exercise a little, but, it, it, you know, it's not going to save you. So it's our mind. So we are redeeming, or we are renewing, or we are re renovating our mind. And I'll tell you, we can think better. Yeah. I can think better. How many of y'all are thinking better now than you did five years ago? Don't raise your hand if you're not. So <laughs> we, we're thinking better. We're thinking better. What does that mean, thinking better? Stocks and bonds and, you know, what kind of car to buy. It's, it's making choices. It's making decisions. So I want to go to John chapter 10 this morning and look in verse 1. We looked at it Wednesday. It says, Verily, verily, truly, truly. Now when the Lord Jesus says truly, truly, it's truly. <laughs> he wouldn't have to say anything. It'd be true. But when he says truly, truly, the emphasis is, is what I'm about to say is very key to your life. He said, I say to you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up over some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. What is it? A thief and a robber. Let's say that together. A thief and a robber. Make no mistake about the devil. Sometimes we think he's impotent or stupid, and he does do some stupid things. But the reason he gets to do that is because we're, we're moving towards God. But the devil is a very powerful creature in the realm of seduction. Now, he has no power of his own. He's a, he's a disembodied spirit. And unless you have a body on this earth, you have no authority on the earth. You have no authority. If you're going to bake a lemon cake or a coconut cake, it's in your house, you have complete authority over that cake. And we have complete authority over this earth because we're citizens of the earth and we were given a body. That's why Jesus had to be born of a virgin. is So he could have authority in the earth. He could have a body. 
and the devil and angels and demons have no authority because they have no body. All authority is given to people, to things that have a body. So he says here that there was a creature, the devil, that came in some other way. He was not born here. Are we okay with this? He wasn't born here, so he has no authority. So he has nothing of his own. And so if he has anything or wants to get anything, doesn't he have to steal it? He has to be a thief and a robber. He has to take it from someone who has it. Well, that's you and me. We have all authority, even when we're not born again. We have authority over a lot of things. It says, but climbeth up some other way. So the devil's not coming legally like the Lord Jesus did. He's coming up some other way. The word says he's a thief and a robber. And we've looked at this before, but let's look at it again. The word thief there in the Greek is the word embezzler. And it, it means it has to do with he's an illegal alien. I know we don't like that word now in America, but he's, an, he's, a, he's the original illegal alien. He, he, he came. So uh, the word says in verse 10, let's slip down there. The thief, so we're talking from verse 1, the thief that came over the fence, over the uh, gate another way. He, uh, he said, the thief cometh not. Why did the devil come? Now, here, here you got to, we can find out the whole plan. The whole master plan of the kingdom is laid out in things, especially after Jesus said, verily, verily. He's telling you the whole kingdom right here in just a few words. And we just slip over it like whatever. I want to get to the prosperity scriptures. I want to get to the blessed scriptures. Well, this is the blessed scripture. This is the scripture that'll tell you. He said, the thief cometh not. So the thief, the word thief there, like I said, means he doesn't have anything. He's having to steal. Don't thieves just come in and steal what they don't have? They're not coming in for another toothbrush. They're coming in for something else. The thief cometh not. Why does he come? Why does the thief come? He said he comes to do three things. Three things. Now, they take a lot of forms, but he comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. So there you have it. The word thief means embezzler. So if you think about what we call embezzlement, embezzlement's not a gun in your ribs saying, give me what you got. Embezzlement is on the sly. It's a deceit. It's a time kind of stealing. It's, it's seducing. It's a perversion or a deceit. Embezzlers are that way. And he wants to embezzle what we have from God against us. He wants to take and he wants to turn the gun back at us that we're aiming at him. He wants to take what is rightfully somebody else's. Now, we've got to understand that. He doesn't have any power. You know, er, er, you listen to Christians talk, and they'll say, big devil, little God. You hear that in their conversation, like, oh, the devil. Oh, the devil, devil. But they, they, this, this pandemic here, you just hear COVID, COVID, COVID. We never hear about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus in that light. And they're secular. That's, that's their job. But our job is to not major on the minors. The COVID is a steal, kill, and destroy entity. We know where it came from. And it, it is, uh, if you don't know where it came from, then you will be afraid. We talked about uh, Wednesday or Sunday that we don't, nobody cares whether you get the vaccine or not. It's a non-issue. Just be in faith when, when you do it. Just be in faith. Just say, yes, I'm, I'm going to take it and be in faith. I'm not going to take it. Be in faith and it'll go well with you. It'll go well with you. Well, you, you put, like Kimberly said, you put your tithe in the offering, and then you want to put in five more dollars or whatever. Well, it'll go well with you. But if you don't, it'll go well with you. It's, it's as a man purposes in his heart. So uh, the word steal means to take away by stealth. An embezzler is one that's cooking the books, so I always think. Someone that's behind the scenes, manipulating and deceitfully working against the owner. The word means to filch. That's not a word we use much, but that, that's the word filch. To take something behind the back and change its location. The word kill 
you know, uh, is the word murder. The word is more used in the word slaughter. So he hadn't just come to take our lives. He's come to murder us and to slaughter us. Well, you think about slaughter as something that's very unmerciful. There was a slaughterhouse in Seagraves, where I came from, and they, they had a gun of some kind, in the, in, and it had a, a, a ram in it, and they would, I, don't, I never saw it, but they just would put it on the, the, the cattle's head and, you know, deliver a, a death blow. That's called slaughter. It's not slaughter when you go to war. That's a whole different word when you go to war. And we won't talk about that. But it means to murder. And then the word destroy is the most graphic word of the three of them. Steal, kill, and destroy. The word destroy means to desecrate. But its real word meaning is to make useless, to render something useless. So, for example, with Afghanistan, we had all that equipment over there, helicopters and tanks and all that sort of stuff. What, uh, what happened, they say, is that a lot, they didn't, they didn't blow up the tank before they left America. They didn't, they, but they, they made it worthless. They took out some part, the computer or the, the, the drive stick or whatever they did to make that what was there, which was 99% good, made it useless. And the devil has come to emasculate and to, uh, to, to bring you and I till, so that we're still here. Like, what? I'm still here. I'm, I'm good. But then what, what's in us that works has been taken out. He wants to neutralize us, nullify your life, so that you're here and you're living and you're, you're going to church or you're blah, whatever people do, but you have no impact. You have no residue with your life. You leave no mark. You, you pass into life at birth and you leave life at death and there was nothing in between. It was, it was just a shadow of vapor that just went. And that's not what we're created for. He came, he came so that you'd be something in your coming. And so uh, verse 10 says, the devil, the thief has come, but he said, I am come. So it'd be real important after verily, verily in verse one to notice why Jesus came. He said it himself, didn't he? And it's not what almost all religious peoples think. They think, they say, he came to forgive sins. How many of y'all know he did forgive our sins? He did take it away. He didn't, he didn't blot them. He didn't uh, cover them, which was an Old Testament term. People still use that in church. But it's not true. He washed them away. He washed them away. So they're not there anymore. You know, if, if, you, if you put some britches in the washing machine and it didn't wash them away, you got you to gotta go again. Or we're going to call you nasty pants. <laughs> we're going to say, you didn't, use, you didn't use any detergent. Hallelujah. So uh, G- Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. That you, I have come that you might have life. Well, to have life, you got to have some conditions. you got to have some things that are in line to having life. He said, I've come that you might have Zoe life. Life as God has it. It's a real unique property. It's the one thing that makes God, God. Is this essence, this characteristic, this, this thing that's in God, that God has and that God is, is called, in the word, it's labeled Zoe or life as God has it. Well, Jesus said that he had that life, the same life that God has, and he said, I have come. Why did you come, Lord Jesus? That you might have that life. Being forgiven of your sins is real one-sided and it's real short-sighted because even though you're a forgiven sinner, the next morning you get up and you mess up. Then what? Well, you were forgiven from yesterday back, but what about from today forward? So it's an incomplete work just to say that you are a forgiven sinner if you don't have a condition imparted to you that you live above sin. And Jesus said, I have come you to bring you that quality. Because even the Old Testament folks, could, they couldn't get forgiven of their sin, but they could get the note. They could, they could renew the note of sin against them. 
They could pay the interest on it. And they would come once a year and the high priest would go in and he would do the doodle-doo and the dance with the blood and everything. And that God said, okay, we're going to renew the note of sin and it, we're going to push you back one year. But you better be here next year at the same time with the same blood. And they never could get free. But Jesus didn't just push the interest back, renew the note. He forgave the note and blotted it and took it away, washed it away. So that's, that's more powerful because now there's other conditions. The life that Jesus came to bring wasn't just to do with sin, just to get you free from the anchor. He put you in a high place. He put me in a high place and said, I want you to live like I live. And we know in 1 John it says, as he is, finish it with me, so are we in this world. As he is. Well, how come that is? How can you say that? How can you bring as Jesus the Christ is, so am I? Why, that's heresy. That's, that's, that, you can't say that. Ah, unless the very life that he was, he brought it to us. I have come that you might have this life. I'm going to impart it to you. And as I am, so will you be. Well, if you miss that turn, if you miss that little statement, you'll think you're an old sinner saved by grace or whatever. And you'll always be as the Old Testament people. You'll always have that condemnation, that weight of sin on you. So we've got to live above. We've got to read the word. Jesus said, verily, verily, I have come that you would be like me. And then in another chapter of John uh, 14 or 12, 12, 14 or 14, 12, he said that. The works I do, will you do? Well, how can we do that, Jesus? You're, you're the Christ. He said, well, as I am, so are you. He said, what I do, I don't do because I'm the Christ. I do that because of the life of God in me. Now, he is the Christ, and we're not to be like him in the sense of his sacrifice or the sense of his sinlessness, but we got renovated. He made us sinless. It's as if we never sinned. So when we go back to God and say, God, I know you, I know I've been here and I said I wasn't going to do that anymore, but Lord, I'm here again. And the Lord actually doesn't know what you're talking about. I know it seems hard to think that God couldn't know, but if he cast that thing into the sea of his forgetfulness, if he washed it by the blood, cleansed us from all unrighteousness, then that's yesterday's news and it's in the parrot cage. It's... It's not, it's not relevant to today. So there's just so much here that you can hardly believe it's true. It is so good and so thorough and so stacked up on a bunch of people that can't seem to get their left foot in front of the right foot to walk to the refrigerator. It's just like, God, why would you do that for us? Well, his name is Jesus. And he did it because of him. He was empowered and legally able to do it because of him. So... I wrote down that the most valuable thing anyone has, don't guess, but I'm just fixing to tell you what your most valuable attribute is, your characteristic that's more valuable than anything. And you will see then why the devil and the world wants this thing out of you. Your most valuable commodity or a characteristic is your identity. Everything in the kingdom works on identity. And so why does the devil come to steal our identity? Because everything works off of our identity. You have an identity, and if you don't know what it is, then you are lost. Uh, when, a, when a man takes a wife, she does him the amazing honor of taking his name. If she's a Smith and she marries a, a Jones, she takes his name. And she parks her name, usually. Some people hyphenate it or whatever, but we're talking about the kingdom. She takes his name. It's, a, it's an amazing offer to give herself into his identity and become and take on who he is. Now, if we were going to teach on this, we'd say, Bubba, you better get worthy to give for her to take your name. In other words, you... you <laughs> You, you ought not to be an alley cat with someone that's taken your name. But anyway, on and on, she takes his name. And then they have children together, 
And he gives that child his name, which then has become their name. Because she's not anymore, a, whatever I said, a Smith or a Jones. She's, she has identified with him and taken on his name, and then the two become one. And they become one. It's like, I, now I'm a, I'll say Johnson. I'm, now he's a Johnson, now I'm a Johnson. And then their children then take, they give their name to him or her, and they that is their identity. Their surname is their identity. And then you have the right to name whatever you possess. I name my little red truck. You know, you, you, name, you name, name whatever you want. You name your dog. Why do you get to name your dog? Well, because he's yours. We can name everything that's ours. It's called the right of possession. And God has the right of possession and has the right to name us or to bring us his identity. And if we resist, we won't get born again. We say, I don't want your name. Then we become nameless or we become the default name like a single woman would keep her father's name all of her life. Wouldn't she? A single woman would keep her father's name all her life. Then we keep the devil's name all our life if we don't change identities. If we're not re-fathered from above, then we have our father's name. And Jesus said, you are of your father, the devil. So it's, it's clear. But it makes, if you don't know these things, then you're just walking in the dark looking for the string on the light bulb. And you might go all day and half the night without finding it. And some people never find it. And they resist. They, they, they buck up like, I, I don't want that Jesus. Well, you, you, you won't be named with him in the hereafter. When you lose your body, when you lose your citizenship on the earth, then the judgment that's been pushed back by grace on our sins, been pushed back. We're in the age of grace, aren't we? And so we, we do bad things and, and God doesn't smack us. He doesn't send lightning down or a train to run over you or whatever. And people think, well, there's no price to my sin. There's no judgment. Oh, yes, there is. Jesus take, took it. But if you don't take it from him, <laughs> then you're going to be named by your sin. You will be a sinner when you go out into eternity. Judgment will catch up to you. And so uh, it's good to take his name. So it's the right of possession. So when the devil comes for your identity, my identity... He's asking you, whose are you? Whose are you? Who are you? What is your identity? And uh, when you have an identity, like hardly anybody in Pittsburgh was rooting for Alabama last night. You know, I, there might be, I'm sure there is, they're everywhere. But just to use that for an example, they identify with Yeah, that, if you go into NFL, yeah, or Pitt, or whatever, whatever these towns are up there, they identify, well, how come they don't wake up and root for Alabama? Roll Tide, how come they don't? Well, they've taken on identification. They're Pennsylvanians, they're New Englanders, they're whatever they are, and they identify with that, and that's who they are. And if you tell them you're a no-good uh, stealer, you're a sorry, no-good stealer, they take umbrage at that. They say, let's take it outside. Yeah. And you go, well, what is that? I'm talking about these people over here. Well, they've identified with those people. And they've become who they identified with. So it's powerful when we give testimony because we're saying, my Jesus did this for me. I identified with him and he identified with me. And that's my identity. Identity. So in this COVID thing, you, you, you have people that are lost. They'll say, I've got, or they'll say my COVID or my muscular dystrophy or my headache or whatever. They, they identify themselves with something that's negative. Jesus said, I've come to redeem you from that, to give you a new identity. But you're still identifying with the curse, the flesh, sin. And he said, I've redeemed you from all that, but you're still identifying with that. Then you are a... Can I use this word in church? Because it's so appropriate. You're a bastard, illegitimate, we'll say that, 
in that you don't know who your father is. And so you can't identify with who your father is. If you don't know who he is, you, have, you don't take that. So you're everybody's son, but yet you're nobody's son. No one's claiming you, but you're claiming, everybody's claiming you. And we just become an a identifiable someone that doesn't have an identity. And we walk around wondering who our people are, what our future is. You have to have an identity to dream. What do y'all dream? Y'all don't dream in Romanian. Nobody in here is dreaming in Vietnamese. We're dreaming in America. Specifically, we're dreaming, I'm an Alabamian. Where we dream that way. We, we project our future based on who we are. And if you don't know who you are, if you're just passing through, you're a wanderer or a drifter, then you can't dream except about wandering and drifting. And that's no dream. There's no, there's no end to that. There's no good about that. So I've always said, and I believe it's true, that, that when a thief, a thief has a spirit of, there's a spirit of theft on them, Klepto is the word. But it's the same exact root spirit of lie. If you find someone that'll steal from you, you've found somebody that'll lie to you. And conversely, if you find someone that will lie to you, that's not honest, lies to you, they will steal from you. And the lie is facilitated to steal. It's the setup. It's, the, it's the, the knife that goes in a little ways, but then the stealing is when they twist it. And you've, you've been stabbed. You've been taken out by the liar who has come to steal. So based on that, the thief, the thief is a liar. And Jesus told them that they were. You are of your father the devil. You're a liar, and you have been from the beginning. So we ha our, our job is, is, is not, to, not to say I've never sinned or I never will sin. Our job is to identify with the, the Savior, the one who has redeemed us from sin. If we, redeem, if we identify with I'm just an old sinner, you know, we, we're, all, we're all sinners. I tell you, it's amazing how many Christians, so-called, that will identify, well, nobody's perfect, we're all sinners. I see that all the time. I, do y'all ever hear that? And you go, I thought you were a Christian. Well, I am, but we're all sinners. Well, they, they don't know who they are. They don't know what happened to refather them from above. So they're, they're, they're wandering around under condemnation because we're all just sinners. We just happen to be sinners that might go to heaven. So the devil opposes the truth. When he lies, what is he lying against? He's lying against the truth. This is the truth. And so he, he comes at you and me with not overt, just like Jesus is, is nothing. He'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. But he'll, he'll manipulate it till he just slides around with the half-truth or something that fits you and me. Like, uh, you, don't, you, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, that's just true as it can be. You don't have to go to church to be a Christian. But the truth is, you have to go to church to be a strong Christian. And you can slide in, like Peter says, as if by fire. But you don't, you, you don't want one of your burners to blow out right before you slip in. You might not have enough fire to slip in. And then what are you going to do? So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. That's the reason he came. He came to give us life because if we have life, we'll, we'll see through the lies of the devil. We won't let him steal from us. We'll be able to have his wisdom because that's in his life. We'll have his grace because that's in his life. We'll have everything he's got because what he's got is what now we have. I like that. That's really love. When he said, I, I'm coming to bring you what I am and what I have. And that's, and that's love. That's life. So religion, 
excuse me, liars are people of religion. They don't like the truth. But they just won't tell you that we're all going to hell. They'll just say, well, you, you got to be good. I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. That's what religious people will say. I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. Well, you don't have to be good enough to go to heaven. You just have to be saved to go to heaven. Now, if you want to have a good life on earth, you're going to have to be good. You're going to have, aren't we? It, you know, if you're a felon and always doing felony things, you're going to have a hard life living in jail with all those bad people. So, we've got to know the truth. The truth will set us free. I like what Kimberly said this morning about the assignment on each one of our lives. It's true. We have a general assignment like we do as Americans, but we all, you know, not everybody is a janitor or a waitress or a doctor. We, we all have our own assignment within the greater assignment. And that's the way it is in heaven as well. There's a blueprint for your life. And the word talks about when that blueprint was assigned to you. Wasn't when the doctor spanked your bottom and said, it's a boy or it's a girl. It was way before that. It was before the earth was formed that God thought about you and put, put, put a plan for you in his planning room, his blueprint room. His, his, and you go, that can't be. I wasn't even a thought to my mother. Oh, well, yeah. She wasn't a thought to her mother. But he did it then. And so that's where Romans says all things work together for good because there's a plan. Now, you can jump the track and get off on another plan. You can subvert it, and he'll have to have a plan B. How many of y'all have known we've had to go to plan B on occasion? You saw later what God had, and then you go, oh, I missed that. Well, the Lord just has another plan, but it's usually longer to get back around than it was. So the devil, the thief, the liar comes to siphon off life from you and me. He can't kill us. If he could, he would. Now, let me remind you, he hates you with all his being. He is so mad at God. We, we don't even have to wonder about that. You know, the, you get into the Middle East, and those people really hate other people. The Shiites, they, they hate the Sunnis. I mean, it's not even like, oh, we don't want to eat dinner with y'all. They, they, they want to come in and, and cut everybody's head off. And so we, we have a picture of what pure hate is even in our human and the devil hates you even more and so he's listen to me he's he's couching he's ready to spring at every opportunity that you and I would believe the lie and forsake the truth so we got to be in hot pursuit don't we because everything you've ever experienced that was negative since you got born again was because you and I deviated or compromised the truth. That's when you messed up. That, that's when it hurt. That's when you say, oh, what have I done? Because we thought we'd take a shortcut. Ah, you don't have to do all that. That word destroy means to render useless. It means to desecrate. To bring something valuable down. And that's what he likes. He, the devil likes to desecrate us. Uh, so I, what I want to talk about this morning, I've got a few minutes, is the law of exchange. Because when a woman marries a man in this country, and in the word, she takes his name. Now if you don't know that, then, and, and you don't understand the covenant, you don't understand how exchange works, you'll have two people that'll go up the aisle and they'll look at each other and they'll, they'll I saw this one time, they'll read a poem to her and he'll say, I promise to take you hunting with me and, <laughs> you know, I'll let you put up the tree blind and, uh, and you know, I'll, uh, they'll, they'll make all sorts of stuff, but they won't commit with words. They won't seal the covenant. They won't enforce the power of who they are, their identity, to give and to receive from each other. So they'll just be shacked up. They'll just be living together to see how that works. Well, how many of y'all know you, a cat and a dog might get along 
on, in the morning, but by afternoon, they're, 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 they're gunning for each other. And that's what that is. If you don't become one, then you're not one. And so everybody that's, that's, that's in, everybody's identity is trying to preserve who they are. And if you're not into one, become one flesh, then you're, you're at war with whoever's at war with you. It's just a mess. And you go, well, why do, why do people that did get married? Because they didn't know the vows they were taking. And they didn't, they didn't know the words that they were speaking and how God would create that and change them on the inside to be bonded with somebody else and become one. And so it's just a wreck because our parents didn't tell us. Or mine didn't. Maybe yours had to sit down with you and talk to you about covenant and words and, and uh, the life. And, but mine didn't because mine didn't know. They would have, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Now we can know. We can take the pieces of whatever your life is and we can recover all. The word talks about recovering all. So what does the devil come to steal? Steal, kill, destroy. He's come to, to steal whatever is valuable to you based on your identity. If you're a parent, he's gunning for your children. Is that right? Now, to tell you the truth, now this is to be honest, it's a, little, it's a little crude, but somebody in Philadelphia that lost their child this weekend, it's, it's, it's pitiful, it's, it's wrong, but it didn't affect my life one Bit. I didn't lose a breath. I didn't, I didn't cost me a penny. That was removed from me, even though the devil took a baby or a son in Philadelphia. So the devil, to affect me, has to come to my world. And he has to come against my children and make me lose my identity. He comes, he comes to women and tries to make them relabel to be widows. I mean, wife. To widow. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that be a coup if he could take somebody's husband and make them a widow, which is a whole nother stigma, a whole nother realm of life. It changes everything when you're a married woman and then suddenly you're a widow or a widower. It changes everything. It changes why? It changes your identity. So that's why we got to pray for one another. That's why we got to cleave to one another and, and hold on to one another because your identity is not, well, she's over there and I'm over here. You're one. And so when you protect her, you're protecting you. Right. And it's not like, I hope she makes it. You know, <laughs> hope she reads the book. But if not, well, whatever, I'm over here. And she, no, we're identified with each other. Now, we're not identified with our children in that covenant sense. Our children, the Bible says, leave and cleave. Sometimes it's 45 or 50 years old, but, but <laughs> you go away. You go away. <laughs> so this stuff's all, it's, it's real complicated, but it's real simple. Find out who you are and then defend your identity against the devil. Because he's come to steal, to kill, murder, to slaughter, and to render useless in your life. Have you ever seen on TV where somebody lost a child or something? The house is burning down and their baby was in there. And you'll, you, you'll talk to them, they'll talk to them on the news and they'll say, I'll never get over it. I'll go to my grave. And you go, you go, watch this. Chronicle this, because this is how it is, and that's how it will be. Their life was so identified with somebody else's life, but they didn't, they didn't do what it had took to protect them and deliver them while they were living. I can't go there, but I, 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 I would. So if, 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 the, if the devil was coming to you, my point about the baby in Philadelphia, I, I miss that, is that He's coming to you to steal what's precious to you. So you have to defend it. You, you have to know who you are. He's come to get the value that you give to something and take it away or to render it useless, to make it where it's no value. So, so he, gets you, he gets our kids on drugs so that their lives are, are useless and it completely consumes the parents 
over the grief and the, the, the structure of that. Y'all can, can dream what I'm talking about here, that it's, it's not one thing. He comes. He's coming for you. And he can't get you directly. He can't murder you directly. He wants to, and he, he would if he could, and he has, but, but he can't hear. So he, what he does is he tries to touch who we are through somebody else. So if you're on a budget of any kind, if you are on a financial budget or uh, a time budget or a food budget, people are dieting all the time. All the time. <laughs> or if you're on an entertainment budget, you know, you just like, well, we do this and we do that. Then, then what that means is, is that you have assigned a value to the things in your life. And you've got them prioritized, one, two, three, four, five. What's the most important? Well, my wife is the most important. Not with everybody. And so they have, they have her down there at number six. And they got my hunting buddies is number two and my, my you know, my, you know, just a dog. Yeah, D-O-G, D-A-W-G. It is, it's, uh, you got to be careful that you're, we don't get into idolatry and get out of our identity. Because when we get out of our identity, when we slack up on knowing who we are and what is attached to us, if we ever lose sight of that, the devil will come in and pilfer, flint, filch, and he'll take what is valuable to us. And suddenly we assign value to it. Like, oh no, my baby's gone. Or, oh no, my, my dog is gone. You know, and, and, and it, uh, so we prioritize based on value. So when you go to buy a new car, do you go to the lot and, and Mr. Shiny Guy comes out of the dealership to show you uh, what, it, what he's got and he shows you this yellow thing? with 180,000 miles on it and says, this looks good on you. And you go, the man said it looked good on me. I'll take it. We don't do that. We like to shop around because we want, listen, it's not just shop around. It's that we want to assign a value to what we possess. So we don't know if that's a good value or not. So we want to shop around. Uh, this is real big. Uh, men don't, men like to, when they go shopping with their wives, they like to, if she picks up a, a thing and says, I like that. You know what he's thinking? Let's buy it and leave. <laughs> Time's up. It's, you like it? Let's go. But you know, she never buys that. Never unless you've first gone through 12 stores and put your little hands on everything. Then you might go back and say, yeah, I like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you travel, do you go to the first motel on the edge of town when you're... No, we, we shop around. We find out what they got and do they have breakfast and, and all that sort of stuff. We shop around. We assign value to things and we need to have the whole menu in front of us to find out what the value of that is to us. Uh, same thing with the church. Do you, do you join the first church you go to? We have lots of people come through here, and they say, I'm shopping. We're, we don't know if the value on this congregation fits our value, our need for value. So we're going to go down to first church and second church and, and, you know, Church of the Redeemed over here and go to their church. And then we will, we will throw it all together, assess it, and find out the best value for who we are. We want value for our testimony. So we don't go to the first motel. We don't go to the first restaurant. We don't go, we don't buy the first dress that's on the rack. We shop around and assign value. I hope when you got married, you shopped around and assigned value. Now you don't have to. The Lord can just speak to you and say, this is the one. Well, then he's assigned a value to you. And it's done, because if he says this is a good value, what are you, you going to do? Go take these girls out and spend your money on them and, and all that when, when he's already said it. So uh, when I was in West Texas State University, I went to a car show in Amarillo, and I saw a firebird 
This would be 1972. I'd never been to a car show, and I'd sure never seen a Firebird. This thing, it, it was extraterrestrial, I can tell you. Uh, and, I, and I vowed a vow right there, I will have one of these. Well, I was broke as a church mouse. I didn't have anything. I was working all kinds of shifts just to keep in school. And so I never did get that, and then I got married, and I sure didn't get that after that. It, uh, Trans Am was not on the value list. <laughs> But, but now I've changed. You've changed. We've reassigned value to things, things that used to be very important. No, we're, we're buying minivans now. Or you may have bought a minivan. It's like nobody in college, high school and college is thinking minivan. We're thinking Trans Am. But if you got three little guys running around your feet, minivan seems to fit. So here's the key. I've said all that to say this. Success comes when you make the right exchange according to right values. All of our troubles have always been when we assigned a wrong value to something and we pursued it as if it was a right value. Could I have a better amen? All my mistakes, all my mess-ups is just because I said that is what I want, that's what I need, that will work. When in fact, your parents probably looked at you and said, no baby, that, that's not it, he's not it, it's not gonna work. But you just wouldn't have it any other way. You assigned the value of that. And here's the only thing that you can trust for your values. The truth doesn't always look that good. It's one of those long distance marathon runners. It doesn't look that good, but it'll win. Sorry about that. <laughs> I can say that because I don't run long distance anything. I, I'm pretty fast from the, from the couch to the refrigerator, but after that, I, I, I'm not that fast. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I've got to get this thing rolling here. We're talking about the law of exchange and the law of identity because Jesus said the devil comes with an agenda, but there is an antidote to his agenda. You can render him helpless. You can render him uh, unable to affect your life. He's come to steal, kill, and destroy, but you can put on life and, and you are impervious to his attacks. In Matthew chapter 6, look what it says in verse, uh, let's look in verse 24. And we'll, we'll get this thing going. No man can serve two masters. Now, how many of y'all would say that's true? We'd say it was true because it's in the Bible, but how many times have we tried to serve two masters? We like, like, we believe it, but we ignore it. I'm telling you, my mistakes, your mistakes, we're over having two masters. You can't even, you can't even, you cannot, not even in marriage, you can't have children be in the same relationship with your wife. It's a mistake. You gotta say, I love you, baby, I'm here to raise you. Because my mama raised me, and I'm going to get you going, and I'm going to have a good stewardship over you. And when you leave, you're going to marry Sweet Pea, and y'all are going to bring me some grand sugars, and we're all going to live happily ever after. That's how it works. But if you, if you attach a value to them like you have value, a value to your covenant wife, you've got two masters. And it will not go well with you. Let's go on. It says, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold on to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. The word mammon there is, of course, it's translated riches, but it's also translated security. Now, I want to tell you all just for a moment how many people serve security. It's, it's a big thing, but you can't get security. You can't get security with riches. I'll get me a bunch of money together and gather it up and I'll feel good. No, you won't because you'll serve those riches. Moving on, therefore I say to you, take no thought, take no thought, no anxious thought for your life, for what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on, is not the life more than meat and the body more than raiment. Behold the fowls of the earth, for they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, yet, yet, for these poor little creatures that can't do anything, yet, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them, and are ye not much more better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit to his stature? Believe me, I've tried. <laughs> I've thought and thought, saying, God, well, maybe we could get an inch anyway. 
I don't even need a cubic, Lord. That'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> 18 inches on this thing? Oh, but I would be skinny. Hallelujah. <laughs> and why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if, here's, here's the, I said that to say this, wherefore, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? He said, look around. You don't even need somebody wise and aged to come up and tell you. Just look around how God's taking care of stuff. Just look at the stars in the sky. There are only 1,000 to 1,200 that are visible to the naked eye. But there are billions of billions. It's an infallible number. And, and even then, we don't know how many billions that are out there. You can look up there and say, there is a God. Romans tells us you can look at the stars and say, he's here. It's not just me. He's here. Take no thought saying, what shall we eat? Verse 31. Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Now, right there, is, that's a very challenging statement for us to, to not worry about our daily life. Because who do we like more than anybody? You can say, no, I love baby. I love baby more. But the truth is, we watch you for 10 or 12 days, and we can say, no, you like you best. Yeah. For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. All these things, after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things the Gentiles seek. Now, right there, people say, well, God will give you your needs, but he doesn't want to give you your desires. Yeah. It's just not true. It's a man's way of thinking. It's not God's way of thinking. It's a bust. But what we have here is people saying it's, the, it's money is the root of all evil, when in fact it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. And if you seek first the kingdom, which is what he said, seek first the kingdom, then the byproduct of seeking first the kingdom is better than what you would have got if you had not sought the kingdom and went after the stuff the Gentiles seek. And he said, how can that be? That I'd take off and go to church and I'd give my money to the church and I would be, and I'd still have more than if I just kept it all and, and spent my weekends working? That's what he says. It's a mystery. And it takes the mind of Christ, faith down here, to enter into that. So there's a purging. There's a purging out of lack and need and, and rejection. We have to purge that out of our mind. We have to think different. And then we have to put in the truth. My God supplies all my need. Well, I don't see it with many Christians. Well, you don't see many Christians that are believing the truth. They've been stolen from. They've been lied to and they've been stolen from. And so they believe what they've, what they've heard from the devil instead of saying, well, the word says this, that's the way it is, it won't be different than that, and I am changing my mind. That's what you got to do. You got to tell yourself, mind, we are changing. We are not going the way we were raised. We're not going the way we feel. We're not going the way we've experienced. We are changing. And until you say, I am changing, you will not change. You'll acquiesce, that you'll accommodate, you'll, you'll have some things come in that you go, well, we can do better than that, but you won't change. Maybe over a long, long period of time. But I'm telling you, saints, we don't have that much time anymore. We've got to have a giddy-up. Okay, I'm, I'm not even there where I'm going. Verse 33, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which means his system of doing business, and all these things that the Gentiles seek shall be added unto you. The Moffat says in verse 32, pagans make all their aim in life. Excuse me, pagans make all that their aim in life. You go, well, pagans, those are terrible people. It's everybody that doesn't know Jesus. I mean, you, you can call them sinners if that makes you feel better, but they're pagans. The Knox says it is for the heathen to busy themselves over such things. I don't want to be lumped in with the heathen. I want an identity that says, I stayed at the house and it was better for me than those people that worked all day and all night and on the weekends. It was better for me because I serve God. How, how would that change your life? Well, you'll never, if you're 51, you'll never be 50 again. 
You better do what 51-year-olds do, which is giddy up. It's, it's, the Beck says, people of the world run, run after all these things. The Philip says, set your heart on the kingdom. The Beck says, first be eager to have God as your king. That's good counsel. Godspeed, good speech says, you must make his kingdom and uprightness before him your greatest care. I know that's easy to read. I know we say Jesus said it. But to do it takes your whole life. You, you, have, you have to say, I was going south, but now I got to go east. And you got to reset your sails. Turn the rudder. And you got to go another direction. Will everybody be excited about it? As in nobody. Because you're identified with that. What you used to do, what you used to have, what you used to pursue. We are identified with that old man. And he comes back and says, chocolate cake's cooking. We will blow up that diet today. <laughs> Y'all wouldn't understand that. Uh, but I understand it very well. The Moffat says, uh, the, excuse me, the Philip says, and all these things will come to you as a matter of course. So we, the law of exchange is this. We, it's not based on how hard you work, not even how smart you are. Because the best laid plans can get upended. Do y'all know that right now in this world? That everybody that's smart is blowing up? They're not. They're, they're, they're just, they're, well, I can't go into the political side of it, but they're, they're, just, they're just acting dumb as a rock. Well, they were always that dumb, but now it's convenient. There's a platform for them to come out. But we don't change our platform. No matter what they're doing, we, we stay this. So uh, uh, the law of exchange. Now, here's the law of exchange. You lay, we know this. You lay down your life in one dimension. What you can do, you lay it down in that to pick up what you can't do or can't have. You can't go directly for it, but you can do this. You, you can't... Oh, I'm running out of time. You can't give yourself to wealth. But it will come when you give yourself. It's a byproduct. But if you just say, I'm going in the business to get rich in Jesus, I'll be a millionaire by the time I'm 32, and I'm going to use... Yeah, the Jews do that, and they have a limited success. But you can't do that. It's a byproduct. So we lay down our life in one dimension. We go to work on Monday morning at 8 o'clock. We show up to the man, and he says, I need you to... Dig this ditch uh, till 12, and when you come back from lunch, I need you to fill this ditch in. Yeah. That's kind of how it is sometimes. But he'll say, I'll give you a bunch of slips of green paper on Friday for opening the ditch and closing it. So we lay down our life with labor, with, with our expertise, with our life. We give it to somebody else, a company, and we pick it up another, in another dimension. He gives us a check. We don't need the boss to come over and pay us back by digging the ditch in our front yard. We need him to give us money. So it's the same thing. You, you, you exchange your expertise, your experience, your education, your, your, uh, your body. You exchange it for what you don't have, which is money. Don't we? Isn't that why we go to work? Is we exchange it? And so the value that you put on you determines what you can demand for them in the law of exchange. If you think you're just a ditch digger, and that's all you can do, he's going to pay you what ditch diggers make. But if you're a computer programmer, a software programmer, you might get more than a ditch digger. But you've got to know what your value is. You've got to identify with who you are. Well, the first key to that is to identify yourself with Jesus. Bless God. He was made unto me wisdom, redemption, sanctification. I'm the head and not the tail. He always causes me to triumph. He always causes me to triumph in Christ Jesus. Greater is he, listen, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. As he is, so am I in this world. That changes your identity till I'm just a little old punk nobody. You don't have to go to college. I'm not against college. I went to school. I got my degree. But you don't have to go to school in order to have a good job. That's right. you, you, sometimes you can fall into a little thing that says you're a gazillionaire while all the, 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 the college people are just saying, I, I, we'll work for food. <laughs> yeah. 
So it has nothing to do with those things. What am I going to do now? You lay down your life. When you're single, you lay down your life to get married. You know the worst thing in the whole world is a single man, excuse me, a married man that acts single. There's nothing hardly worse than that. He doesn't change identity. He's still a child. He's still sowing his oats or whatever. And it's terrible. And, and life is full of those. Uh, so we exchange. Now, I'll tie it off with this. We exchange what we have for what we don't have. We exchange it. And so we negotiate our value to get a good exchange. You don't go to the first car dealer and say, I'll take, I'll take it. You go to another one and see if you can get a better exchange. I've got $10,000 right here. I'm looking for the best car I can get for 10 grand. You, you, you go after a, a husband or a wife, you, you negotiate. I mean, it's, it, love helps. <laughs> I mean, it helps, but, but you know, if, if he hadn't worked in 100 days and, and just says, it's all out there, it's not me, you might want to negotiate for a better husband than that. Y'all know what I mean? So we assign a value. Here's my point. I'll quit. Here, we assign a value to our life based on truth. Now, if, you don't, if, you, if you've been stolen and lied to, then you don't know what your value is. I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. I'm a worm. I'm, uh, God don't care nothing about me. Or I messed up. Here's the big one for Christians. I messed up and God hadn't gotten over it. Or maybe he has, but you may not have got over it. So you assign yourself a low value. And you go out and exchange your life for a low value. He said, I've come and given you the most value there is. I have come that you might have life. You go, well, bring it, Lord, bring it. Well, you've got to go out and exchange for it. He puts stuff in you. Let me just tell you this before I go. Did I say that already? The thing that employers want more than anything is not necessarily a skill set. They're looking for somebody that's honest because there aren't any people, not many people out there that are honest. They want somebody that won't steal time and their pencils and their secrets. They want someone that's honest, someone that says, if you'll treat me right, Mr. Boss, I'll stay here with you. And if, if you don't treat me right, I'll come in and negotiate. That, you can, you can, you say, I need off on Sundays because being in church makes me a better employee. They like that. Because that's, that's a good exchange for them is to have godly Christian people working for them. They know they're going somewhere. But if you just hire a bunch of ninnies that just can program and can whatever, that doesn't mean anything. They can submarine the whole company. Well, we got to exchange our life right. When you and I would say to the other side, you know, Jesus said, let's go to the other side. If we would say, okay, I'm going to go to the other side, but I have conditions. I have to wait until my value is higher. I have to wait until I have more money or I have more, my kids are gone. That's a big one. I'm going to do something with my life once my kids are gone. Do you all know those people? They don't do anything with their life when their kids are gone because they never go. So you've got to say, I've got value right now in Jesus. He's come that I might have life. I have life. I'm a rare commodity. I've told you all this, but it's the truth. Mark T. Barclay said it in the 80s and 90s. He said, the most valuable commodity on the face of the earth is a righteous preacher. Well, you can translate that to a righteous believer. Anything. It's not the preacher part, but yeah, we're all preachers. We preach with our lifestyle. We preach with our commitment. We preach with our conviction. We are preaching every day. Somebody is watching you closely. They, yeah, oh my. And so, we're the most valuable commodity. So when I go to exchange my life in the marketplace, or for a spouse, or for a business, or for a vehicle, I go in there and expecting. I got all the advantage on my side. Everything is in my favor. If I'm a buyer, it's a buyer's market. Am I, if, I, if I'm a seller, it's a seller's market, as far as I'm concerned. Well, they say, that doesn't matter. 
So with the law of exchange, we're working it already. Let's work it better. Let's, let's find out, do I have what it takes to go to the other side? Can you say, I do? Because he's got a divine plan for us. Amen. 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 Jesus is wonderful. Let's stand up together and let's lift our hands before him. He is helping us. He's helped us. He's helping us. And he said, I will lay help on you. Oh, Lord, we worship you this morning. We exalt you in this place. Thank you for your goodness. It exceeds every need I have and goes beyond. Your goodness, your goodness, Lord, is enduring and everlasting. We give you praise and thanks for the good things in our path. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.